So Matthew 6, part of what's all commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, and as one of my old pastors used to say, a text without a context is a pretext. And so I just want to do a little bit of context, and then we'll, we'll jump right into this. Just a reminder and review. So up before this, chapter 5, Jesus is healing. He's going around. He's teaching. Large multitudes of people are starting to follow him. And then Jesus gives this, this message. And like Adam pointed out, this is just to his closest disciples. What's interesting, though, is why? Why is this given to only his disciples? I don't know if you guys have ever asked that question. I thought it was kind of interesting as I was reading this text and thinking, okay, why is it just to the disciples? And if you look at the very beginning of this message in chapter 5, verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he was uh, seated, his disciples came to him. If you go to the same account of this in Luke, uh, chapters or verses 1 through 13, chapter 11, it says that one of the disciples asked him, said, you know, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so it makes me think of, in Luke 11, 9, and 10, Jesus says three things, ask, seek, and knock, right? And he's teaching his disciples about prayer. And so it says, ask, all right? Ask in what? you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and he's going to say, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. (laughs) No, he says, knock and the door will be opened unto you. God wants us to ask. He wants us to seek. He wants us to knock. And so what do the disciples do here? They seek. They ask. And Jesus gives this awesome revelation to them. All right? So it makes me think, am I seeking? All right? Am I asking? Am I knocking? Do I hunger and thirst? Because God says, if I do, right at the beginning, the Beatitudes, he says, what? We will be filled, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Am I poor? Am I holding my hands out saying, God, give me? You know, or am I filled? Am I too proud to ask? All right? Or too busy to ask? Uh, a neat booklet, I don't know if you guys have ever read this, is called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's real short. First time I ever read it was in a bathroom. So I don't know if you guys do this. It's a great practice. Put little booklets, put little, or just even full books in your bathroom right next to the toilet, whether people that come into your home are going to read them or whether it's just when you have time. Right now I'm going through a book called God's Generals. Every time I, I'm in the bathroom, that's what I'm reading. So maybe you don't want to read that particular copy of it because who knows how clean it is. But I was in a bathroom, found this little booklet, and read it. And there's this beautiful picture of how our heart and, and our life really is kind of like a home. You know, there's all these different aspects of our life. And maybe this works more for guys than for girls because guys have little compartments, whereas girls are spaghetti, you know, and everything's intertwined together, if you guys have heard those analogies. But it talks about how the bedroom, you know, where we sleep, rest, does the rest part of our life match up with, with God's word? Or the kitchen, the food, you know, how we eat, how we take care of ourselves. What, what are we taking in? Does that match up? The recreation room, all these different rooms. And this person's giving over more and more of his life to God. And finally it gets to this den. And Jesus says, if you meet me every morning, I will be here. 
and I'll meet with you, and I will you know, share with you and fellowship with you. And so the guy starts doing it, and it's going great. And then after a while, he forgets, or he wants to sleep in, or whatever comes up. And then finally, after several, I don't know how long, weeks, months, whatever go by, he's walking by the den, and he sees Jesus sitting in there still. And he remembers, oh yeah, he's still there, and his promise is still good. If I will go in, if I will seek, if I will ask, he will feed me. He will reveal things to me that no one else knows. He'll speak things to my heart. He'll minister to me. He'll take care of me. And so I wonder, kind of like the disciples, of all the multitudes that are following Jesus, only a few guys came and sought him out. Only a few guys asked, and Jesus was ready. He's like, boy, let me tell you guys. <laughs> and so that's where we're at. Uh, was kind of neat. I thought, I never heard this before. When Adam was, was teaching on what some people call the Lord's Prayer, or just this model prayer that Jesus gives us, he divided into the three things with God, and then I'm going to cover the three things with us and, and, and man as far as petitions, what we're asking. And, yeah, but kind of like the Ten Commandments. You guys remember back to those when Moses is there on the mount and God gives them the Ten Commandments? The first commandments deal with our relationship to God. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, do not take the Lord's God's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. It's all about us and God. And then it's with us and our fellow man, with the world around us. And in the same way, God does the same thing with the prayer right here. The first part of it, the first half, or however you want to look at that, is dealing with, with God, our Father. And I loved how Adam put out that relationship in dealing with fathers who are in heaven. I'm just going to kind of go through the whole thing real quick, and I'm going to give you a lot of shun words, okay? Because uh, this is how it was laid out to me one time, and I really like this. So our Father deals with relation, okay? Another way to think of it is to grounds. What grounds, what right do we have to come to God? Well, he's our Father, all right? Who are in heaven, Position, that's where he's at. He's overall, he's in charge, but he also sees all. All right, hallowed be your name, adoration, worship. And so Jesus, we're going to see here, starts the prayer off with worship, and he also ends it with worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The shun word, submission. And then that's what brings us into what we're going to cover today, submission. So. First, we can come to God because he's our father. And he told us to call him that. Who art in heaven. He has the power, the authority to change everything. It's all his. Hallowed be your name. Man, just remembering who God is, how great he is, and specifically his name. I can't even think how many different names the Bible actually mentions of God. You guys can help me think of them. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Tzidkenu. Jehovah Rapha. Actually, I heard that on the radio this morning. Yeah. The Lord, well, and you can get into you know, the English versions. The Lord, our salvation. The Lord, my righteousness. The Lord, my provider, my healer. You know, the Lord, our rock. All these different names of what God wants to be. And when God comes to Moses, and Moses is freaking out saying, God, I can't go and talk to the people. You know, who am I going to say, you know, sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Or another way of putting it would be the all-becoming one. He is what we need, what I need in each moment. 
Yeah. So hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Okay, God, not my will but yours, as Jesus prayed in the garden right before he was about to be led away to appear before the Sanhedrin and then Pontius Pilate. He says, nevertheless, you know, God, I want this, but your will, your way. And then he gets into verse 11. And the first word that he says is, give us this day our daily bread. Mm. I, I love that Jesus says, give. Okay? My little daughter's not saying this yet, but I'm waiting for the day when she says, give me, give me, give me, right? <laughs> and they'll say, please give me. That might come later on, right? <laughs> All right. And Jesus didn't say, Father, if it's not too much trouble. <laughs> he didn't say, you're probably too busy, but just in case. He says, give us this day. All those other things he could have said, but he doesn't try to build this explanation of why I deserve these things. You know, God, I did this, this, and this for you. Can I have what I want now? Can I have what I need? How many times did you guys do that to your parents? I did the chores. I was nice to my little sister. Can I, can I please go to the movies with my friends now tonight? In Hebrews 4, whoever wrote Hebrews, says that we can now come boldly before his throne. Mm. Back in the book of Esther, maybe you guys remember the story. Esther has gotten married to the king, who's not a Christian guy. And in that kingdom, the rule was, all right, the, the policy of the day was that you had to be invited into the king's presence. If you weren't invited in, all the king had to do was give a little signal and off with your head. All right, the guards would come in, they'd grab you and carry you off and, and kill you. But if he raised his scepter to you or, or lifted his hand to you, then you could come in. She was afraid to go before the king, and so she asked all the Jewish people when she was about to go before the king, pray for me, I don't want to die. <laughs> this is the exact opposite that Jesus is saying here. He says, give us. We can, we can come before God and say, just give it to me. We can be blatant like little kids just saying, hey, you're my parent. Give it to me. This is your job. This is your responsibility. Uh, I love how so many different pastors have pointed out you know, that God's not a genie. But at the same time, God is our daddy. And we can ask. And we can boldly ask. And he says well, we can come boldly before his throne. And why? He says to receive help in time of need. He says a couple other things. We enter as his kids' heirs. This is also in the context, because just before this, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. But because of, of Jesus and what he did, we are God's kids. We are in the family. If you ever are reading through Ephesians, a good practice to do is look at all the things that we have in Christ Jesus. All right, We have access in Christ Jesus, as Ephesians, Paul says in 1.3, we have access to every spiritual blessing. Every single one. We have carte blanche. We can just go in. Whatever we need, whatever we want, all the spiritual blessings that are out there in Christ, we have them all. If you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, you've got access. My 
I would say hey, I, I'm a very blessed man. My dad is a carpenter. He's been a carpenter now for 40-some years. And over that lifetime, he's managed to acquire a lot of tools. Uh, he's got, I think, five table saws. He's got, like, two dump trailers. He's got just all sorts of equipment. And it's really nice because my wife and I were working on our house. and we're, we're remodeling it, fixing it up. And whenever I don't have a tool, my first thought isn't, oh, man, I need to go to Menards and I need to buy this. You know, do I have the money in my bank account? That's not my first thought. My first thought is, hey, Dad, <laughs> I need this tool. And sometimes I don't even ask. I just go over and I grab it. And if he's there, oh, hey, I'm going to just stop by to grab this. And he's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> you know, and the only time that he'll say no to, to me, his son, is like, oh, well, I was hoping to use that right now. And oftentimes he'll be like, oh, well, I'll just use that later. You know, just bring it back when you're done. And my dad's very particular. And put it where you got it. <laughs> right? And that's the same way that we can come to God. We can just show up and be like, I need this. And God says, I'll gladly give it to you. And as he's teaching on prayer in another section, he says, you know, how much more does your father want to give good things to those, to his children, to those who ask? All right. Speaking of how parents give good things to their kids, our Heavenly Father wants to give more. And I love that it says right at the beginning, our Father in heaven, remembering that authority, remembering what he has access to, which is everything. In Psalm 50, it says that he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. When I was in Bible college, one of our teachers had actually just shown up like a week before we got there. And a couple months earlier, he had been a pastor of a church in Texas. And this was actually just right after the recession. I went to Bible college in 2009, and so 2008, I don't know if you guys remember the housing crisis and the kind of economic downturn we had. I was doing carpentry in Iowa at the time, and I remember just jobs were few. People were not spending money. They were, they were saving. They were holding on, wondering you know, when things would turn around. And so him and his wife were supposed to be moving to Peru, but they needed to sell their house, and they are going to be missionaries there and teaching the Bible college, and they're wondering, oh, what do we do? And he just looks at his wife and says, you know what? God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. All he needs to do is have some rich cattle guy sell off a, a bunch of cows and come into town looking to move his, his wife into a nice city home and just come up and he'll offer us cash. A couple days later, this rancher knocks on their door. <laughs> says, hey, I saw your house for sale. I uh, just sold a few hundred head of cattle and I like your house. My wife said she, she likes it. I want to buy it. <laughs> That was it. That's exactly what happened. And so they sold their house, cash offer, didn't even need a real estate agent. Next thing they know, they're in Peru, and God's provided and taken care of. So I love it. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Yeah. And so hmm, it makes me wonder, sometimes we're in need, and, and this is very different from the health and wealth prosperity doctrine stuff that's preached out there, but I wonder how much we don't have because we don't ask. Jesus' brother in, in his own book of uh, James said, you have not because you ask not. I was in Peru, and we were up in, uh, I don't know if you guys know Peru, but we were up in the mountains. Um, we lived in a region that we sat at 14,000 feet. That was ground level. All right, just by comparison, if you go to Denver, Colorado, it's called the Mile High City, right? So 5,280, is that the right? 260, 280? 280, okay. All right. So that's, that's Denver, 5,000. We sat at 14,000 was our ground level, and then the mountains went up from there. And so we're off in the middle of nowhere. We live in this little town called Mo, which is like maybe 1,000 people. 
Um, I think there's two computers in the entire town. And you were lucky if you had power and water every single day. Sometimes just the whole town had no power, no water. And uh, there was no doctors, no medical clinics. And while we're up there, we're trying to do a church plant, I get a boil in a very uncomfortable place. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse day after day. And I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Like, do I go to the big city and travel, you know, hours and hours away and, and try to find a doctor to take a look at this? And then one night I couldn't sleep because it was just so uncomfortable and hurt so much. And the next morning we had an appointment to meet with this family and share the gospel with them. They wanted us, they invited us to come in their home. They said they were going to invite a bunch of relatives. And so we had this great and awesome opportunity. Well, unfortunately, in the team that I served with, I was the only person that spoke Spanish, which was also the only language that we could speak to communicate with these people because none of us spoke Aymara, which was the local dialect. All right, so it was either Spanish or charades. And I was the only person in the group that spoke Spanish. And so I'm freaking out because I'm in so much pain I can't sleep, which I know means the next day I won't be able to think and concentrate and, and do anything. And then all of a sudden it hits me, why don't I ask? <laughs> I'm just sitting here in all this pain, and I haven't gone to God, my Father, who cares about me, wants to help me, wants to, to heal me. And so I said, God, I, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier, but can you help me out here? I don't know what I'm even asking for. If you're asked to heal me or to go away or to just explode and relieve some pressure or what. Sorry for the details. But so I, I pray, and sure enough, like, it doesn't go away, but all of a sudden, just this relief hit me, and I felt so good. I went to bed right away. The next morning, we went, we got to share with this family, and there was like 20 people crammed into a room that was probably about this big, because that was the size of their home. That's where they ate, they slept, everything. And so we just packed in there, we got to share the gospel, and then the next day, a doctor shows up to the village and needs a translator, a medical team that's, that's traveling around doing medical missions. And so I ended up starting translating for the guy. And partway through talking with him, I was like, huh, I wonder if he would uh, look at this. And so I asked him, like, hey, doc, you got some time? And he's like, yeah, sure. He looks at me and he says, oh, well, you want the good news or the bad news? I'm like, well, <laughs> give it to me straight. So he says, well, we can cut you here or we can cut you up at the hostel where I'm staying. I'm like, what do you mean cut me? He's like, well, I'll call in uh, they had this guy named Catfish that was like his assistant. They're from the south. <laughs> He said, I'll call him Catfish. He'll hold you down, and we'll cut you open, and we'll get this thing out. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's just do it here and get it over with. And so fat cat, Catfish comes in, holds me down. They cut me open. No anesthetic, no no uh, painkillers and nothing. And But then later that day, I was running around. I felt like a whole new man. And it's like, God, thank you. Not only did you give me relief the night before, you sent a doctor the next day to heal me. Ah, uh, so... James, Jesus say they have not, we have not, because we ask not. Are we willing to say, God, this is what I need? He says, give us this day our daily prayer. Mm. He says, this day. You don't have to advance notice God. It's not like asking for work off where you need to do it months or weeks in advance and see if the schedule's right and if the right number of people are there. All right, it's not like... Uh, Sorry, I'm a carpenter, so a lot of things are related to Menards. It's not like going to Menards and you order something and they say, okay, 10 days, two weeks, or with COVID going on, you might be looking at like six or eight months. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Just a little bit before, Jesus had said, 
God knows what we need before we ask. And he's working on it already. So then why even ask? If God knows, why does he tell us to even ask here? God knows he's probably working on it already. But he tells us to ask. Why? One, because he told us to. Two, it draws us closer to him. As we pray, as we think through these, these things that Jesus gave us as this model, it aligns our will with his. We stop thinking about our, our issues and our worries so much, not that we don't forget about them altogether, but we realize in context, in relation to our relationship with God, where he's at, what he wants to do. He's a good God. Like the psalm, or, yeah, like the psalm said this morning, 77, remembering who God is, what he's done in the past. He hasn't changed. He's still the God of miracles. In John, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he also said, man does not live on bread alone. So I wonder if here, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, if he's not only talking about what do I need today, but if he's always talking, also talking about spiritual needs, physical needs, mental, emotional needs, what do I need right now? And am I only going after the physical things, or am I asking Jesus, I just need more of you. And he says, I am the bread of life. I want to give it to you. Hmm. Uh, an interesting thing to remember is when you ask, you also have to receive. You can ask and ask and ask all day long, but unless you receive it, it doesn't matter how long God holds it out there in front of you. Um, kind of an interesting analogy. One of my teachers used to tell me, he said there's two kinds of people in this world. There's those who pray for the bridge and those who pray at the bridge. I'll explain that a little bit. So the, the, the concept and the idea is that you come up to an obstacle. You come up to an impasse, a need, whatever it is. So say it's a river, and able to get across this river, if you're trying to get to where you're going, you need a bridge. It's either that or you swim across the river. But typically, we like to cross a bridge. We, we have this, this structure. We need something to help us get, a past, get, get across, get past. And so there's those who get to the river and they say, God, I've got this problem. Please help me out. And then we see the bridge. We're like, oh, this is God. And we cross. And then there's those of us who we get up to the river. We see a bridge. We go up to the bridge. God, is this where you want me to cross? <laughs> is this what you've provided for me? Or should I look for another bridge? Right? That's what the disciples did. You know, John the Baptist came to Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Or are we looking for another? So it happens. We can be one or the other. Or we can be both. Quite honestly, most of the time, I would say I'm both. All right? I pray for a bridge and I pray at the bridge oftentimes. And I don't think God criticizes us or thinks bad of us if we pray at the bridge. But he wants us to pray for the bridge. He says right here, give us this day our daily bread. And then when he provides, receive it. We need to ask and say, okay, God, not only provide for me, but help me to see. Help me to realize when you're speaking into my life. We're asking for wisdom, and sometimes we totally miss it, right? God's given us the answer. He's already provided. He's already taken care of us. Will we receive it? And I love, just kind of quickly, if you think about this prayer, and have any of you guys ever timed how long it says it 
it takes to say this prayer? I did it either this morning or last night. It took me 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So this isn't a long prayer. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a short prayer. There's some, short, there's some prayers in the Bible that are even shorter than this. But it's not long. God is just encouraging us here to pray. Whether we pray a lot, whether we pray a little, whether we pray often, pray short, pray long, just pray. Because what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Talk to him. Always. First Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. Mm. So, we get to the next part. Give us the Sarah daily bread. And then verse 12. And I got to be honest, I got to share with you guys, when uh, I asked Adam where he was going to be at for this Sunday, he told me he'd just finished up teaching Matthew up through verse 10. And so I'm like, okay, Matthew 6, 11, what does that say? And I pop open my Bible and I'm reading this. You know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that hit me hard. And I would say this is one of the hardest messages I have ever prepared for. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those. Or as we forgive our debtors, or in the Luke one, as it says, as we forgive those who have trespassed or sinned against us. In another spot, Jesus was talking with the disciples, and he says, if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you or that you have something against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and make things right with your brother. And as soon as I read this passage, that was the next verse that popped in my head. Several years ago, my wife and I were in a church, and there was, I ought to say, a messy situation that happened. Um, some, some things were said, some things were done. Uh, a lot of different people were hurt, and my wife and I were praying about whether do we stick in the church or do we need to leave. And at that time, God told us, you're hurt, you need time to heal. I want you to leave for a season um, or maybe for good. And, and so we left, and we tried to leave in the most peaceable way. And um, we talked with a few of those people and tried to, to work out some restoration and and so we hadn't really talked with any of those people since then for about three years now. And it's interesting how when you forgive, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes the enemy just keeps bringing it back up, what they did. Well, they did this to you. They did this to you. You know, they said this or they didn't do this when they said they were going to or they, you know, maimed your name and your, your identity Whatever they did, it just keeps reminding you of these things. And how could they? And they never apologized. Oh, my gosh. How many things would uh, God bring up before us and said, hey, you never apologized for that? And so I was thinking through that. And just over these years, I kept asking God, help me to forgive. God, I know what you want is me to forgive. I know what the prayer says. But God, help me to forgive. And as soon as I read this passage, God was like, Jeremy, I want you to go to them and actually tell them in person, I forgive you. And I also want you to apologize for a couple things. You know, apologizing, one, it took me this long. Two, anything that I might have done. You know, oftentimes we hurt people, but we don't even know what we did. It wasn't intentional, but the hurt still happened. And so Wednesday night, we got to go and talk with them. And uh, they asked another brother to be there just for accountability, a third party. Um, 
and it was it was good. It's still how do you put it? It was difficult, and up until the very moment we were there, and even while I was talking with them and sharing with them, it was it was so hard. But afterwards, there was such peace. It was just like I could hear God saying, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I wanted you to do." Because He says, "And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors." That as that's a that's a tough word in this context. That's a really really tough word. As in like manner, in the same way. So think about that. If God forgave, not if God says, "I will forgive you." in the same manner, in the same way that you forgive others. And we'll look at this a little bit more here, but just think about that, the weight of that. Ah, So is God saying that grace is conditional? I want to skip ahead to 14 and 15 because it ties together really well with this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is talking about something is conditional here, all right? Is it grace for for all sins? Is it grace for the big sin? You know? He says, if you forgive men, others, then God will forgive you. But if you don't, he says God won't. So does that mean that grace is conditional? Well, if you go to Ephesians, he brought up Ephesians 2.10 this morning. Well, just before that, 8 and 9, Paul says that, for it is by grace that you have been saved, not of works that no man can boast. And even that grace, it is a gift of God. So that's just one verse. There are many different verses where God makes it clear that we are saved by faith. Okay, right back in Genesis with Abraham, he was made righteous because he believed God. It was accounted to him righteousness. And Paul reiterates that in Romans. So we're not saved by works or even this work, but yet somehow grace here, forgiveness of our trespasses and our sins is conditional upon forgiving other people. How does that work? I was listening to a couple different Bible teachers, uh, Chuck Smith, and they were all saying, you know what? We don't know. You know, how is one saved by grace and it's God drawing us? But yet also, it says in Romans 10 that we have to make that choice. We have to call upon God. Like there's both sides, all right? You got the Calvinist argument, you got the Arminianist argument, and yet the Bible clearly has verses that support both. And so in a lot of Calvaries, and I'm there too, it's like, well, I think it's somewhere in the middle. And with this passage, too, I think, okay, well, it says that God forgives us and we have grace, not through works, not through what I do, just by faith and believing and receiving. And yet Jesus says, I have to forgive. I wonder if it's kind of like in James. James is saying, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. All right? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But Christians go to church. Christians are the church, right? Not that we have to go to church, and I speak of you know Sunday morning gatherings, whatever, every single Sunday. You know, if we're taking that time of spending time with the Lord, or maybe our, our church and our Sabbath day is Monday. Maybe it's 
Thursday. I don't know. But I wonder if Jesus is saying that the proof that you truly have received grace is that you extend grace. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about confronting brethren. And at the end of that, he gives this neat little story of there was a man who owed a debt, right? And if you translate into modern-day terms, it's about $10 million. And the master calls him in and says, hey, pay me what you owe me. And the guy says, I can't. The master says, well, then I'm going to throw you in prison until you've paid every single cent that you owe me. He says, master, have mercy on me. I, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm sorry. And the master says, okay, release him, let him go, and your debt's canceled. So what does that man do? He goes out, he finds a guy that owes him a much smaller debt. You know, it says some denarii, a few days' wages. And he takes the guy and he strangles him and says, pay me every cent that you owe me. And he says, I can't right now, but give me some time and I will pay you back everything that I owe you. That guy who was strangling him, he didn't make the same promise to the master. He just said, I can't pay it. And the master forgave him. He didn't say, I'll pay you back. He said, I can't pay it. So he strangles that guy. He throws him to prison and says, you're going to stay in prison until you've paid back every cent that you owe me. And so the servants of the master, they hear what happened, and they go and they tell the head honcho what he did. And so he calls him back in and says, is this true? I showed you grace. I forgave your debt, and yet you wouldn't forgive this guy his debt? You know, I'm going to throw you into prison now, and you will stay there and rot, and you will pay me back everything that you owe me. But this guy had a debt that was millions of dollars. How could he pay back the debt? How could he get into good favor and grace of this master again? One pastor said the same way he got out of it the first time. Just come back to the master and say, I was wrong. I should have forgiven. I'm sorry. You're right. Please forgive me. This is a debt I cannot pay. That man didn't understand that grace that he received the first time. Because if he had, I wonder if he would have responded differently, if he would have shown grace too. And I get it. It's hard. It's not easy to forgive people. Uh, and it's something I've been working on with these particular people for years, and asking God to forgive me. And sometimes, and in this case, it took me going to them and confronting them. And it didn't mean that they responded the best way, and it didn't mean that they had repented either or that they had felt sorry for what they did. It was between me and God. God, will I forgive them? Will I obey? There was another pastor I was listening to. Uh, I respect the guy. And he was talking through this passage, and he was saying, not that God won't forgive you your sins because God has forgiven you, and his thought was that maybe this passage is saying, maybe God is saying here, that in the same way that that master threw the servant into a prison where there was suffering and separation, that when we don't forgive, we're thrown into a prison, more of a figurative sense, and that we're separated from God in a sense in our relationship as we live and as we walk in this world, but also that there's just not that joy, not that peace I would agree with that, that in the sense that when we don't forgive, it wears on us physically, mentally, emotionally. My grandpa and grandma got divorced uh, about four or five years before I was born. And because of that, I actually never saw my grandpa until I was about 12 years old. He was just estranged from the family. And after I got older, after I got saved, I talked with my grandma about this. I said, Grandma, have you forgiven him? I was thinking of this passage. 
And she said, no. She said, how can I? She went to church. She um, served just her heart out, was constantly witnessing and evangelizing to people. But still there was that bitterness there. I kept talking with her. Grandma, you got to forgive. And it, it, it ruined her health, just this, this anger and this hatred that she had towards him. And I wonder if at the end of her life, if she had forgiven him. But I did see how it did put her in her own little prison. And that prison followed her wherever she went of that unforgiveness and that weight. And it just affected every relationship that she had after that and how she related to people. If she could trust, if she could rely on people, if she could truly open up and share hurts and feelings. And so I would agree in that sense. But I would really wonder if Jesus is saying here, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I'll let you guys debate that and get into the word and, and wrestle that out for yourselves. But the result is the same. Separation from God. Think about this. Jesus said, in the last days, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And he also said, why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I say, if you don't do what I ask? There's an old saying out there that says, he's either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. So if Jesus is truly your Lord, then you will do the things he says. And what he's saying right here is, we need to forgive. I'm sorry I have to be the person to tell you this. <laughs> but at the same time, he tells us this, one, because he's already extended us this grace, and he wants us to share that grace in the same way. But two, because he knows it's good for us. It's healthy. It's healing. It gets us because he said, I came that you might have life and have it, what church? Abundantly, to the full. And how we get that life is by following him, by doing it his way. So, hmm, I got off here a little bit. <laughs> but I'm almost done here. Um, yeah, so following God isn't easy. Maybe you guys have been praying for opportunities to, to serve God. Say, God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Send me to Afghanistan. Send me to Africa. This is the one I always heard as a kid growing up. But will I cross town and go into that person's house who hasn't repented, who refuses to apologize and do what God did for me? Mm. If we don't, Jesus makes it clear. So, I mean, if it's fear that motivates you, God, I want to be close to you. I want to be right with you. Don't separate me from you. Then go. But I would rather you guys go and make peace, whether it's with brothers, family members, coworkers, bosses, ornery neighbors, whatever it is. I'd rather you do it out of love because you love God and you want to obey him and share just a bit of what we've experienced. I remember I told you guys I left that house and that weight had come off. You know what happened later that night? The enemy came right back with the reminders of, well, they didn't apologize. They didn't say this. They didn't do this right. Ah, God, you're right. 
But how often have I apologized, right? How often have I known to the extent of what I did was wrong? You know, we say, Father, forgive me for what I've done, what I've left undone. You know, the things I know I did, things of sins of commission, the sins of omission. We just say, we come to them and say, Daddy, forgive me, I messed up. We don't have to list off every single thing that we did. We'd probably be freaked out if we realized all the ways that we actually have wronged God. Hmm. Has anyone ever been to Okaboji? A few of us. Okay. In Okaboji, there's there's actually several lakes, but there's two lakes, east and west Okaboji. And they're separated by uh, some land, and there's a bridge that connects them. And right there, there's a restaurant. And it used to be called something else. I don't remember what the name was, but inside the restaurant, there was a sign above the door. It was, I thought it kind of a joke, but as I thought about it, also kind of the scariest thing I think I've ever seen. It says, where east meets west. At first thought, no big deal, okay? It's, it's, it's a geographical fact. East and West Lake meet here. But in Psalm 103, God tells us, as, far, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So as far as you go east, you're always going east, interestingly enough. And as long as you go west, you're always going west. You never start going east at some point unless you do a 180 and head the opposite direction. So eternally, God has removed our sins from us, just constantly moving away from us in Christ Jesus. And I see that sign, I'm thinking, oh, where east meets west, <laughs> where our sin comes back to bite us, where it meets us. Well, that's a scary thought. Here God says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you yours. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So whether that means we're not forgiven if we don't forgive, I tend to think it does. But I would also ask the question, were you truly saved? Were you letting God be Lord of your life? Because if you are, if you were, this is the fruit. God, sometimes we just have to pray and say, God, this is hard. This is tough. Help me obey. Just like Jesus said in the garden, Father, I would rather have it another way. But nevertheless, your will be done. Because remember, this is in the context of your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. So then the part I skipped over. And do not lead us into temptation. God help us. We must depend on him always. The devil wants us and he's looking for us like a roaring lion, it says. And unforgiveness is just one of those footholds that the enemy will use to tear us apart. So God, lead us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We rely on him. And he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And some people call this a doxology, which I would definitely agree it is. Uh, but he says, yours is the kingdom. It's all about him. It's his kingdom, his rules, his way. I don't know how many of you guys have, you guys have seen those signs that say, you know, my house, my rules. <laughs> people get those and they put them above their door. Or they, they put it above um, the coat rack or something like that. Well, 
This is my Father's world. So he says, yours is the kingdom and the power. So God, we're praying these things. We're asking for these things. He has the power, the authority, the ability to make it happen. All right? And the glory. So this worship at the end here, God gets the credit. God, we're praying for these things. And God, when these things come, we know it's you. You've provided. You've taken care of. You've worked it out. So I just want to encourage you guys today, look into this more. Study it out for yourselves. You know, as the, the Bereans did, they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul said were true. Get into it, dive into it. There's a couple different thoughts out there. But ultimately, what does it come down to? Will we obey what Jesus has called us to do? Will we forgive? And yeah, that's, that's one petition. That's one thing that Jesus says here. Because God offers that grace freely to us. Freely you have received. So what are you going to do with it now? Will you freely give it? I thought that was interesting. My wife and I were reading um, about Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha, the second. Uh, the other night, and Naaman comes to him with this leprosy and wants to be healed. And Elisha won't even come out and talk to him. He just says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And he gets in a hussy and says, oh, I won't do that. And then the servant's like, well, hey, if he has to do some big, great thing, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Why not just go and do it? And he's like, okay. So he calms down. He goes wash in the river. He's healed. He's just praise the Lord. Awesome. Okay. And so he goes back to Elisha. I want to give you tons of money. I want to give you gifts, clothes, you know, the whole works. I want to bless you. And Elisha says, I won't take anything. I wonder, why does Elisha say that? I won't take anything. I wonder if it's because Elisha realizes, I didn't do it. God healed you. I just listened to him. I passed along the information. He gave the glory where the glory was due. Just like Jesus says right here, give the glory where the glory is due. Give it back to God. And what was interesting about Naaman's response, he goes away rejoicing. He takes some dirt with him because he says, I want to worship God. And God, please forgive me because part of my duties, part of my job responsibilities is helping the king worship in the temple. And when I'm doing it, don't hold it against me. I'm not actually worshiping him. I'm only worshiping you. And I want to take some dirt just to kind of remind me and just worship the God of Israel. And so as he's going back, Naban's servant is like, hey, I can make some money off this deal. And so he goes up and says, hey, actually, Elisha did want some money and some clothes. And what does Naaman do? He says, yeah, sure, I'll give you the money. He asked for a talent in silver and two changes of clothes. He says, I'll give you two talents. He gives him more than he asked for. And what was this guy, the servant of Elisha, wanting to do? He was being dishonest. He wasn't doing it on behalf of his master. He was wanting it for his own personal gain. Did Naaman care about that? He was so thankful for the grace that had been shown him. He just wanted to give. He just wanted to extend it to others. He didn't care if they had the proper authority. He didn't care if it went to the right place. He didn't care, kind of like the seed chucker that Jesus was talking about. He's just chucking seed everywhere. Roadside, who cares? You know, just get it out there because God has done this for me. And I wonder if that's the fruit that God's talking about right here. God's forgiven me. If I truly understand that, if I understand the, the magnitude of that, the grace of God, then yeah, God, I'm going to forgive. 
It might be tough. I get that. I've been there. Three and a half years, God's been working on this in me to forgive someone. Maybe you guys have been working on it longer. But God's calling us to forgive. And he's our Father. We can come to him and say, give us this day our daily bread. God, these are my needs. These are my, my even wants. Paul tells us, be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and thanksgiving, let all your requests be made known to God. You can pray for anything. I have prayed for, I kid you not, chili and cornbread, and God has answered that prayer. <laughs> I've prayed for cheesecake. I've prayed for sound systems. I have prayed for a wife and a little girl. All right? The worst that can happen is God says no. <laughs> and if he does say no, it's because he's got a better plan. He's a good, good father. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us. God, that you tell us to just ask. And we don't have to, to convince you or, or do anything to pull your arm. You just say, give us this day our daily bread. God, help us to forgive those who have wronged us. God, help us to just let it go. If we need to go and make things right with them, God, we pray that you would give us the strength, uh, the humility to do it. And God, that they would have patience and grace for us to, to even hear it and receive it. God, give us the, the humility of, and humbleness of heart, too, that we can realize, you know what, we might have done something in the process to hurt and offend them. And we need to make that right. God, help us to just understand what you're saying here. But, Daddy, most importantly, we want to obey you. We want to follow you, whatever it takes. Because, God, the grace that you have shown us, uh, we've freely received. God, help us to freely give. We can't charge for it, just like Elisha. God, he couldn't charge for it or receive anything because he didn't get it. He didn't do anything. He's just being a funnel, passing it along passing along the message. So, Father, we thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name.